lovely event. I'll be back in a week with rare recordings of Denise Levitov reading. Thank you, Wesley Burton, and thanks for listening. The Marin Task Force on the Americas will hold their annual dinner on Sunday, September 21st from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Marin, located at 240 Channing Way in San Rafael, California. Miguel Tinker Salas, a foremost authority on political and social issues confronting Latin America, will speak about U.S.-Latin America relations in the 21st century. Award-winning singer and songwriter Reed Frommer will perform. This is a benefit for the Marin Task Force on the Americas. For more information, call 415-924-3227. That number again, 415-924-3227. This event is wheelchair accessible. And you're listening to KPFA, KPFB, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, online at kpfa.org. Stay tuned for Javelin's Bistro. special gift that is offered up to you today. We have a wonderful actor that we're going to interview that from the Bay Area who's living in Southern California that we are attempting to come back here to do some performance work, some workshops, welcoming her back home. She just wrote her first novel to talk about her work in the world, a book that holds philosophy, spiritual guidance, very practical skill for those of you who are interested in the world of performance. She gives you moral values inside this book. The name of the book, On My Own Terms, One Actor's Journey. Her name is Miss Barnes. You may have seen her with Roseanne Barr, Julia Roberts, other folks out in the world performing her work, her belief. And we want to welcome her. And if you would like to call in to ask questions, if something that she or I say that intrigues you, if you're interesting as a performance artist, the numbers are called if you're outside the 510 area code is 1-800-958-9008. And here, 510-848-4425. I finished reading the book and I must say that it was absolutely fascinating on so many levels. Welcome. Good afternoon, Miss Barnes. 
Good afternoon, Jocelyn. What a wonderful introduction. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. You're I'm so honored. Yes, absolutely. It's an honor to talk to you. As I was sharing with the audience, I finished, when I started reading your book and I finished it, I had so many lessons, personal lessons of values I took away. When you began the process of writing about your work, was that the intentions that you wanted to offer so much in one book? You know, when I first began, let me rewind, I used to teach at the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, ACT, and um, I had one group of students who I taught. I taught in three different programs, including their advanced training program, and hold the distinction, uh, proudly, of being the first African-American to teach full-time in their advanced training program. I had one class um, that was in the summer uh, program that they had full-time, and at the end of the program, they gave me this beautifully um, covered book that had dried flowers. It was a white cover on it, and inside they had a slip of paper that everyone had signed, and they said, this is for when you write your acting book. And this was probably somewhere between 1986, 1989, when I taught at ACT. And I thought, write an acting book? That was nowhere in my consciousness. But I kept the book. They had planted the seed. And I began to use the book on stage every time that I performed my one-woman show which is entitled, I Am That I Am Woman Black, portraying seven historical women through time, from slavery until today. I would keep it, and I do keep it, on the table that I use for Mary McLeod Bethune, the educator who is one of my seven women. And it was a while later, many years later, that I began to think, maybe it's time now to write that book. So as I sat down to really seriously begin to think about doing this, it dawned on me there was nothing I could say that the masters had not already said. Stanislavski and all the others, Uta Hagen, Viola Spolman, all of them, Strasbourg. And then I spoke with a friend, Brandy, and I said, Brandy, you know, I'm, I'm trying to write this acting book. I said, but I also want to talk about my touring. I've had so many experiences around the world touring the show that I really want to include that, but I don't know how I can do that if this is an acting book. And she said, you can do that too. And I thought about that and I said, ah, so maybe what I can do is use my life experience as an actor as a backdrop to share what I've learned and pass on. And it was at that point I felt free and then I began to chronicle, you know, in chronological order, trace my journey as an actor starting at age 16. So that's what transpired. That's how it all came to pass. And it absolutely, inside of your the body of work, you give the backdrop of even how to be a person in situations. <laughs> like, yeah, I know it sounds kind of Thank strange. You. But it's true. You, you, I think about it. Any performance artists out there that are getting into this business or in the, in the business to, if they pick up the book, they'll be able to see where you were uh, put in situations where you had to bring up integrity, yeah. your values, your the things your family taught you, who you are as a human being. Yes. Yeah. 
So this book is so much more than an acting book. It's a, a book on uh, how to be a person. Well, thank you. And, you know, to that point, when I was reviewed by a gathering of the Tribe magazine out of New York, there was a statement that the person who read the book said, and I'd like to just quote that. She said, uh, let me find it. She says that this book dares anyone to categorize it. And I thought that's true because at once it's an autobiography. Mm-hmm. It's a memoir. It's a how-to book. It's spiritual. It's motivational. It's all of those things. And so that was not my intention in the beginning to get back to your original question, but that's how it evolved. Absolutely. And I just had this image that if my daughter was to say, if my son or daughter said, you know, I want to be an actor, uh, what do you think? I would hand him this book and say, you read this book. And then you come to me, and if you mm. if you can say to me that uh, if you can say to me that you what you've learned from there, then you can go off in the world and you do what you want to do in acting. Wow! Because I want you to remain a whole person. So read it, come back, let's have a dialogue. Mm. And bottom line, you're going to do what you're going to do, but read it and let's talk oh, about thank it. Thank you so much for that compliment. It's the truth, and I pray that anyone listening, that's uh, you know, when they read the book or pick it up, if they love someone who wants to go into industry, they want them to stay whole. This yeah. would be one of the books to take on the journey as a gift, like put in a little package. Here's my credit card, and here's the book. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank exactly. You. Thank you. So, And you've met some fantastic human beings on the way, and I think one of the... Oh, I have. Mm-hmm, one of the, I think, uh, favorites that anyone uh, listening would be Sidney Poitier. Oh, yes, yes. I've been in his company now a number of times, and he's just bigger than life, you know, and I talk about how I was was so inspired by him, you know, starting out as a young child, going to the movies in my little town of Oroville, California, and watching him on the big screen and just being in awe of him. Uh, Just amazing human being, amazing. And you talked about in the book that where he, just having him on the screen really gave you, as an African-American person, to see the image of him to sort of make that, that consciousness, that connection, like I am somebody. That's right. I'm a part of this. And, That's right. And I think about so many people who said their first time, even um, I think um, Oprah talks about when Maya Angelou, when she read a, a Cage Bird, it had that same aha moment, like I am connected to a bigger picture here. That's right. Exactly. And there's a part of the writing when you talk about uh, Mr. Poitier and your, your book could would you like to read that i'd love to read that thank you so here we go and this is from chapter one which is entitled 16 without question the most significant african-american role model in those early days in the 1960s was actor mr Sidney poitier each sunday i walked over a mile to our downtown movie theater to sit in the plush state theater. On the rare occasions when I saw him on the screen, I sat straight up in my seat, transfixed. I most remember him in movies like Lilies of the Field, To Serve with Love, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. It was not uncommon for tears to roll down my cheeks during dramatic moments in Mr. Poitier's films. 
I took in his every eloquent word as I sat in the dark, eating my shoestring potato chips one by one. Mr. Poitier was handsome, proud, and he looked just like me. He made me feel proud to be black. Squinting my eyes on Sundays as I walked out of the movie theater in the sunlight, I always felt a little taller after seeing him on screen. Little did I know, I would eventually have the opportunity to meet Mr. Poitier in person. Initially, I had the pleasure of being in his company socially twice in Los Angeles, but could not muster up the courage to approach him. I could not form words to speak. However, I promised myself that if there ever came a third time, I would force myself to walk up to him. The third time came. In 1993, at the National Black Theater Festival, I spotted him in a crowded lobby of the official hotel in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I probably would have passed up yet another opportunity to meet Mr. Poitier had I not made that promise to myself. When I finally got up enough nerve to approach Mr. Poitier, I began with something like, uh, uh, Mr. Poitier, I, I, I was in your company twice before. I, I, I could not bring myself to walk up to you then, but I, I, I promised myself that if a third time ever came, I, I would introduce myself. My name is Adela Barnes. He stopped. He looked through me with his piercing eyes. I think he was struck most by my sincerity because he gave me his full attention as I stood in front of him. During the short time we spent together in conversation, it was as if time had stopped and no one else existed in that crowded lobby. It was as if we were in an invisible and impenetrable bubble together. Among other things, I remember blurting out something like, you made me feel so proud as a child when I watched your movies in my little town of Oroville, California. I just want to thank you for all that you've given to black people and for changing the way we were seen on the big screen. Thank you for, open <clears throat> thank you for opening the door wider for actors like me. He listened. I was surprised to hear Mr. Poitier say, and you, my dear, will do greater things. <laughs> I said, oh, no, Mr. Poitier, I could not possibly do more than you have. There must have been something in our body language that stopped anyone from interrupting us because no one approached us. Once we were done talking, Mr. Poitier hugged and kissed me on the cheek. It was only when we began to move away from each other that fans began to yell out things like, Mr. Portier? Mr. Portier? May I have an autograph? Or, Mr. Portier, I love your work. I stood in that hotel doorway and watched Mr. Sidney Portier move toward his black limo, graciously signing autographs along the way. He turned and gave me a smile with his final look as he stepped inside. I had approached him humbly. I spoke from my heart. Because of that, I had no need to ask for an autograph. As fate would have it, I met Mr. Sidney Poitier again a short while later at the 100th birthday celebration for the late Paul Robeson 
given by Danny Glover's Roby Theatre Company in 1998. I remember that evening in great detail. It was at the Actors Gang Theatre, located at the time in Hollywood on Santa Monica Boulevard. Mr. Poitier had a front row seat, along with the likes of the late Brock Peters and maybe Hansberry, sister of the late playwright Lorraine Hansberry. The place was packed. Danny Glover, my longtime friend from California's Bay Area, was hosting the event. Danny spotted me from the stage at one point and acknowledged me with a smile. I smiled back. A short while later, Danny came off stage and headed towards me. He bent over me while someone on the program was still speaking on stage. He whispered, uh, I have a poem here by uh, Pablo Neruda. Alfred Woodard was supposed to read it, but uh, she can't make it tonight. I want you to read it. My heart began to palpitate as I asked Danny how long the poem was. He simply said, uh, three pages. I gasped, three pages? He said, yeah, read it. I agreed on one condition. As long as you announce to the audience that this is my first time seeing this poem, he agreed. I read. That evening, I experienced one of my most fulfilling moments on stage. The icing on the cake was that I read in front of my childhood idol, Mr. Sidney Poitier. I again had his full attention. I almost melted in my seat as he complimented me on stage in front of over 200 people. He said something like, I was asked to read that poem, but declined. I could not have brought more justice to that poem than the young lady you just heard. Mr. Poitier had now seen me on stage and given me his nod. Danny smiled afterwards as he jokingly said to the audience, Ah, it's all in the casting. The audience responded with a spontaneous laugh. That evening held a very important lesson for an actor. Always be ready. Now, I did share with the Bay Area and, and, and whoever's listening outside of Bay Area, you were getting a gift. And now I have to, to put an exclamation point. That was such a fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, John. Oh, my gosh. That's that was... one of my favorite passages to read whenever I do book readings and book signings. That's really one of my favorites. You did it. I mean, just the, the voices. I'm sitting here eating stu uh, shoestring potatoes with you. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I'm You're like, on the journey. You're on the journey. Yes, this is Make them last longer. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. What a wonderful. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my. So now tell us, uh, before I forget in time runs out, where would people be able to get your book and where can they find out more about your work? Oh, thank you so much for asking. They can come to my website and order directly from me. I would prefer that. Because then I can autograph the book with their name, make it personal, and that's www.adila, A-D-I-L-A-H, Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S, dot com. And um, I will gladly respond to them immediately once they place their orders. And what was your second question? Let's see, how will they get hold of you? Ah. Yes. 
how to get a hold of me yeah. at that same so, website mm -hmm. it will take you to my email address okay. and I give my word that if people reach out to me that I will reply personally absolutely and uh, you really are so accessible and and because I I mean our communication ever since I read the book I you know I contacted you and I contacted you and I was so enthusiastic I was you know short of a stalker <laughs> <laughs> no you were not <laughs> because but I was you certainly have become one of my cheerleaders in the Bay Area yes I wish yes I, because I want to take your class that's why yes, <laughs> yes. I do I want you here. Tell us about your solo. What, what actually tell us about your solo performance work and also the teachers that you were teaching in the Bay Area because this is your home. This is your first this home. Is home. That's home. Exactly. That's home. So myself and uh, Thomas and Afro Solo, uh, Adrice over uh, at Bravo. We're, mm -hmm. And I actually just emailed uh, Marcus Bookstore again today oh, just wonderful. to catch. Yep, to catch them up and to say we're wonderful. Wanna, yep, want to bring you here uh, in the Black Repertory Theater to celebrate. We're in the midst of a youth celebration and have you here to do workshops and to oh, teach. Oh, I would love to. And there are a number of different workshops I can offer. Yes. All the way from my writing workshop, which is called Jumping into the Deep Waters. And I have a class that I'm teaching now, in fact. And we're meeting, actually, this evening in my home. Wonderful group of women who are telling personal stories that we're shaping and molding so that they can begin to either use them for a one-person show or whatever it is that they decide that they're going to do with the writings, but just some incredibly uh, beautiful gems that are coming out of them. And then there's another workshop that I teach, so it's called So You Want to Go to Hollywood. And that's an industry workshop where I share with people as I tour around the country uh, things that they'll need to know if they really seriously want to make the move here so that they can competitively come prepared to Los Angeles. And then I have another workshop that's called Self-Publishing on Your Own Terms for those who are thinking of um, publishing their own works, which is what I did with my book, On My Own Terms. And I'm just so proud to say that the self-published book was named number three in June of 2009 in Essence Magazine behind President Obama's two books. So it just goes to show that you can self-publish and really have a presence that's significant. Absolutely. And then also the your solo performance work that you travel with. Yes, yes. I have a one-woman show. It's called, as I mentioned before, uh, I Am That I Am Woman Black. And my show has now toured 40 states, three continents, including North America, the U.S., the Caribbean, as well as Africa and Europe. And um, there's another workshop that I teach that relates to that. It's called Let's Get Your Show on the Road, exclamation point. And then the last workshop I didn't mention uh, is called Creating a Solo Show, where um, we, whoever the participants are, can explore how to begin to really create their own solo show. So I'm very proud of my one-woman show, and it's just touched so many lives um, on different continents and um, has touched me in very special ways, these women that I have the honor of wearing the shoes of on stage, just incredibly empowering. You do Ange Ange Angela Davis? Angela's one of my women. Yes. Angela and I have met. 
she uh, became a professor at my alma mater at UC Santa Cruz, and we met on one occasion. Um, I introduced myself, and then we met again here in Los Angeles at a conference where she was speaking on um, uh, prison rights for women and welfare rights, rights for women. And then, finally, we were on the same panel at UC Santa Cruz, and that was an incredible honor to be sitting next to her. So when it was my turn to speak after her, I said to the audience, I just want to say that I portray Miss Angela Davis in my one-woman show, I Am That I Am Woman Black, and what an honor it is to be on the same panel with her. I said, Angela, I just want you to know I'm watching your every move. <laughs> she said, oh, no, no, please, please. She's oh, my so God. humble, so soft-spoken, and so incredibly brilliant. Yes, I want to remind my listening audience, you're listening to Adela Barnes and her new uh, a body of work inside of her writing on my own terms and actor's journey and we're uh, getting her to the Bay Area. I'm, I'm hoping uh, this fall, late fall or most uh, certainly right after 2015 brings itself here because after all, Calo, uh, the Bay Area is the uh, capital for solo performance artists. And so those of you who are thinking about it, in the meantime, I would say get the book, uh, order the book, start to read about it because it is much more than an acting book. It is how do you bec- how do you remain a human being? How do you as in her last passage she read to always be ready always be ready there's also if you could read um uh, something that that happens to a lot of people not just as actors but as people where in your book you write about there was a character you were supposed to play and you didn't want to support a stereotype that wasn't that did not no longer served our humanity if you could read a little bit about that i just want the audience listening audience to get a sense of when you had to actually come up against that yes yes i'd be happy to thank you and this is from chapter 12 which is entitled on my own terms i left that thursday for my mother's funeral i'm speaking now of the pilot i was working on When I returned the following day to shoot the studio taping in front of two live audiences, I was met with the most unacceptable rewrites of all. As I read the profanity in the script and saw the large bag of potato chips left on her desk, presumably for her to eat during a scene, I decided I had had enough. I asked the assistant director, A.D., to get the producers. The writer-producer team immediately came to the set. Baffled, one of them said, Yes, Adila, what's the matter? I told them, Each day I read my rewrites. I like my character less and less. I feel like I don't know her anymore. I went on to say, My mouth cannot form these words. I could feel their panic. Here we were on tape day, about to shoot in front of two live audiences on the last work day of our pilot, and I was saying I did not want to go on camera with their final script. One of them said, "Uh, we'll be right back. They huddled. I waited. I had no intention of portraying my character using the latest version of the script. Putting my job and name on the line, I was prepared to walk. I was clear I was not going to portray my character on national television in the way she was written. I was unwilling to perpetuate yet another stereotype. 
The responsibility I felt to myself and my culture would not allow me to represent that way. Although I had not deliberately planned to put the producers up against the wall, the truth was they would have been very hard-pressed to find another actor to take over my role that same day. They would have had to find someone in a matter of hours. Well, they could have. But the question is, would it have been who they really wanted? There was a lot riding on this situation on both sides. The writer-producers joined me minutes later, and one said, looking through his glasses, Okay, we're going to change the writing back to how it was. I said, thank you. The other writer-producer asked pointedly, Do you know how many actresses we read for this role? I said, yes. He went on to say, Most of them would have done whatever we asked them to do. I said, I know that. I further explained, they would have done so not necessarily because they wanted to, but because they wanted to work. Some of them also wanted to please you. As we end, we're, we've just run, running out of time. The engineers, have, the engineer, engineers let me know. I was so enthralled with the reading. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I want to, First of all, I want to have the chance to say thank you so deeply much for spending. Oh, you're so welcome. Yes, absolutely. And I will see you here in the Bay Area. So I'm saying that and claiming it. And everyone, you've been listening to Adila Barnes with her reading from her work on my own terms, One Actor's Journey. And say your website one more time for folks. It's www.adilabarnes.com, A-D-I-L-A-H-B-A-R-N-E-S, and they'll learn about all the other things that I'm doing. Absolutely. Thank you for listening, everyone, and thank you for being my guest. Old Time Music Convention is coming to town from Tuesday, September 16th through Sunday, September 21st. Concerts and square dances with award-winning pickers and singers, a string band contest with 20 bands, movie night workshops, and kids' activities at Berkeley locations, including Freight and Salvage, Ashkenaz, the Saturday Farmer's Market, Pacific Film Archive, UC Berkeley, and the Berkeley Public Library. Fun for the whole family. Visit berkeleyoldtimemusic.org for all the details.